0: You know, as Jeff, as Jeff would say, you ready for this? It's going to be good. It's going to be good. I want to talk to you about do you know the, today about do you know the secret of life? You know, it's asked a lot today, people wondering things going on, what's the secret to make this whole thing work? And God just laid on my heart to share with you it's just one thing. You know, I was, came across a magazine article. It was called The name of the magazine was called Outside Magazine. And it was talking about one of the favorite extremes for skiers is running through a stand of trees after a fresh, deep snow, okay? Now, it's extremely dangerous, as Sonny Bono and Michael Kennedy found out. They were both killed because they ran into trees doing such a thing. The writer of the article says, they say what you focus, on your, what you focus your eyes on becomes really critical in the woods, Look at the spaces between the trees, the exits where you're hoping to travel. The secret is not to stare at what you don't want to hit. The extreme skier who focuses on trees is more likely he's going to hit the trees. The one who's looking for the space or the exits between the trees obviously is probably going to miss the obstacles, but it's hard not to look at the trees because you're so afraid of crashing into them. So I want to share my first don't miss this with you. If you're new here, sorry, I got allergies. If um, my don't miss this is, I say maybe two or three of these in a message. This is so in case you forget everything else, you remember this. Don't miss this. Don't stare at what you don't want to hit. You know, when we're focused on our fears, we're going to likely go crashing right into them. But if we focus on open spaces between them, chances are we'll likely avoid them. A skier stated this. He said, with practice and a little luck, you'll soon be ripping through the tightest of trees without getting a mouthful of bark. <laughs> How many of you play a movie in your mind about all the bad things that could possibly happen? I call it the 3 a.m. movie. Do you know what? I'm not the only one, right? You're laying in bed three o'clock in the morning thinking of all the things that could go wrong. And it's amazing what we can come up with, right, in our minds. And the movie just plays and plays there. You know, there's oh, look there's always something to worry about, right? We have aging parents, you can lose your job, you know, we got wayward children, we got illness, we got terrorism, politics, fake news, okay? Just to mention a few. There's a lot out there. It's easy to focus on the trees. And it's not so easy to focus on the open spaces. I recently read that a dense fog that covers a seven-city block that is 100 feet tall is comprised of less than one glass of water. Amazing, right? So a little water can create much gloom. It can cripple an entire city. Can I tell you, worry and anxiety are just like that. Just a small amount, you know, it can settle on us like this great cloud of gloom. And it can keep each and every one of us from really enjoying life. We need to be focusing on the space between the trees, not the trees. I came across this story. There was a young boy. He was driving a hay wagon down the street, a hay rack. And he, you know where they pile the hay real high up on it, right? Well, the wagon fell over in front of a farmer's house. And the story goes like this. The farmer came out, and he saw the young boy crying. And he says, son, son, don't don't worry about this. We can fix it. Right now, lunch is ready. Why don't you come on in? We'll sit down, and then I'll help you put the hay back up on the wagon. The boy says, no, I I can't. He goes, my father is going to be so angry with me. And the farmer says, son, don't worry. Just come on in. Have some lunch. You're going to feel better. The boy said, I'm just, I'm just afraid. My father is going to be very angry with me. So the farmer and the, and the young boy, they go inside and they have lunch. And afterwards, as they walked outside to the hay rack, the farmer said, no, son, don't you feel better after having something to eat? And the boy says, yes, I do. But man, I'm telling you, my father's really going to be angry. And the farmer says, nonsense. Where is your father anyways? The little boy goes, he's under the wagon. Look, some it has been said that worry is the interest you pay on trouble that seldom comes. Psychologists have said that 90% of what people worry about never comes to pass. It's been said worry is like a rocking chair. It'll give you something to do, but you don't get to go anywhere. See, friends, worry is defined as a feeling of uneasiness, right? It's of uncertainty or maybe a threatening future event. It's also a feeling of uneasiness about a past event, you know? And here are some of the symptoms. You want to know if you have some of these symptoms? Here are some of them. Just an uneasy feeling about what's going on. Anxiety. Uh, And inability to relax, tension headaches, sleeplessness, heart palpitations, feelings of tightness sometimes in your chest. It can be belching, nausea, diarrhea, it goes on and on and on, what it does to us. I, I came across a poem, and this is what it's called. It's called In or Out of Water. All the water in the world... However hard it tried, could never, never sink a ship unless it got inside. All the hardships of this world might wear you pretty thin, but they won't hurt you one least bit unless you let them in. You know, in the movie, anybody here see the movie City Slickers? You guys remember that movie? You there's more than one, right? You guys, okay, good. <laughs> I picked this movie thinking you've seen this movie. <laughs> okay, well, you remember, how, you remember Billy Crystal was in it, right? And uh, there's a group of executives from the city, and they decided it was time to take an adventure. Their lives are having all these issues in life. They didn't know what to do. They were concerned about all kinds of different situations, you know, and and Billy Crystal played the guy named Mitch, you know, when he was having problems at work, problems in his marriage. He's having a midlife crisis, right? Went, and of course, now, now, now you remember the adventure takes place on a cattle drive out, out in the wild West, right? And do, and do you remember the guide that went along with him? His name was Curly, right? An old cow hand. Well, at the end of the movie, having gone to the edge of death with cowhand Curly, Curly says to Mitch, she turns to him and goes, "Do you know what the secret of life is?" Well, why don't we listen in and see what the answer is?" Do you know what the secret of life is? No, what? This. Your finger? One thing. Just one thing. That's great, but what's the one thing? That's what you got to figure out. (laughs) You know, I sit there and I think, do you know what the secret of life is? It is just one thing, and it's just one thing. And he goes on to say, you stick to that, and the rest of what goes on in your life doesn't mean squat. Not quite the word squat he used, but I'm using that in church. (laughs) So let's explore that for the little time we have today. What is your one thing? What is the secret for you To have a fulfilling, joyful, worry-free life, no matter what happens, all around you and to you. What's that one thing that will keep you focused on the space between the trees? What is that? If you have your Bibles, I'd like to have you turn to Philippians chapter 3. I also gave you notes today, so you can actually follow along in the notes as well. Okay, but Philippians 3, I want you to listen to what the Apostle Paul says, okay? The Apostle Paul says this, it's Philippians 3, 13 through 14. He said, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God In Christ Jesus, the one thing I do, I'm forgetting the past, I'm looking forward to what lies ahead. In essence, Paul is kind of saying there, the one thing is forget the past, move forward, reach the end, you know, go forward, friends. Listen, this is so important to grasp, it's a simple statement, but it's important. The past has passed, so we must get past it the past is past so we have to get past it paul is convinced that his past is not worth taking any more time up in the present or what is yet to come actually in 2 corinthians 5:17 paul also says therefore if anyone is in christ he's a new creature the old things have what passed away and behold new things have come Paul says, listen, if if, if you have turned from your way of life and you have turned towards Christ, he goes, that old you is slowly being transformed, slowly changing. You're becoming a brand new creature in Christ. Let him do his work in you. You need to forget the past. Because you see, friends, defeat and discouragement come from dwelling on the past. Yeah, I know, you're a bright crowd, man, I'm telling you. I brag about this church all the time, I said, they're like the smartest church around, okay? And it's the truth, you are. Friends, no matter how hard you try, you can't live yesterday over again, right? We just can't go back. The scripture tells us that God has forgiven all of our shortcomings. It says that God has forgiven all of our sins. So why, why should I keep bringing them back up again and again and again? You know... Psalms 102, if you ever, it's a good one to mark in your Bible. I, I can't remember how I put this on your notes. But you, you've heard the statement, but it's good to know the address. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Think about that. As far as the east is from the west. Pretty interesting the, what Jesus has done hanging on that cross. As far as the east is from the west, I remember your sins no more. No more. I've got another, don't miss this. Never let the past be so dear as to limit your future. Don't ever let it be so dear to you and what had happened back then to limit you in your future. Amen. Now, you know, you might be, thank you, Robert. The question you may be asking is, well, how? How, does, how? how do you do this? You know, how do I forget all this stuff that's been in the past? Listen, those words that Apostle Paul said are really Powerful. Forgetting what lies behind. Did you hear that? Forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting, and, and just press forward, he says. Forget, now, now, now listen. It doesn't mean that you don't, a friend of mine once said this to me, and I may have shared this one time before with you, but I think it's worth repeating. Someone had just, it's, I mean, it's really hard when, when someone's hurt you to forget it, correct? Right? And what it impact it had on you. And... I'm sitting across from him and I'm sharing what happened. He goes, Paul, never waste a good hurt. And I looked at him, you're an idiot. What are you talking about? Don't waste What does that mean? My heart's broken. I've been hurt really bad. And he says, Don't you ever waste a good hurt. You know, and, and it took a few minutes for me to understand what he was trying to say to me. He goes, Paul, look at someday in the future, you're gonna have an opportunity. God's gonna put somebody in front of you that you can come alongside. That you went through that situation. And you can come alongside them and literally say to them, I know how you feel. I know what you went through. Okay, let me tell you how I can help and walk you through this. Right, there is nothing like having somebody come alongside you that has dealt with the same thing that you have. What Paul's saying here is forgetting the past. He goes, look, some of that stuff that you did that was wrong, the sins that were done, the sins that were done against you. He goes, put them aside, set them in the back, use them now. It's almost like a toolbox. The day you'll come that you can open up this toolbox and go, Yo, I remember back when this happened. You can pull it out of the toolbox. And now in a positive way, what someone meant for evil, God turns it to good, Genesis 50, 20. What God meant for good... Remember Jesus' words here. This is from Luke 9, 62. He said, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Listen, I shared a few weeks back when I was teaching here, I I called it the Otis Scenario. Remember Otis, remember from Andy and Mayberry, you know, the town drunk, right? He used to come staggering every Friday night. He'd go over, get the key, open the the cell, close the door, stick his hand through, and hang the key back up, right? Sometimes we do that to our, we're Otis's sometimes. You know, Jesus is saying, Paul is saying, listen, stop locking yourself up in a self-made cell, we walk into a cell, we feel bad about ourselves, something we did, we take the key, we open it up, we lock ourselves inside, put the key outside the cell, and we stay in there until we feel a little bit better about ourselves, okay? Or we feel that maybe God could, could forgive us for what happened. Jesus is saying the whole time, the key to your freedom, the key to everything, is right outside the cell, it's hanging there, I'm the key, he says, just grab the key, open the cell, don't keep yourselves locked up in the cell, move forward. Friends, let me, that phrase, one thing, it's in Scripture so many times. Um, Let me share one. It's from the Gospel of John. The Jewish leaders were speaking with this young man whom Jesus just healed from blindness. And they questioned him about this Nazarene named Jesus. And in John 9, the the once blind man says, well, whether he's a sinner, I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. In Mark's gospel, when Jesus encounters the rich young man, the rich young ruler, we see that one thing again. Mark 10, Jesus, this is Jesus, now looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and he said to him, one thing you lack, go and sell all your possessions, give to the poor and you're going to have treasures in heaven. And then, come on, follow me. Come follow me. Well, the rich young man had come to Jesus, wanted to know, has he really accomplished everything for eternal life? You know, And Jesus pointed, pointed him to the Ten Commandments, right? And the man stated that he was obeying the laws ever since he was a little kid. And Jesus says, but you still lack one thing. Jesus pointed out to him that he loved his money more than he loved God's. You know, in order to be a follower of Christ, one must be willing to transfer ownership of our, you know, of of all our possessions, right? You know, it really shouldn't be that hard for us, but it is. It is. the, The reality is this, we don't own anything. You really none of us really own anything. We can't take anything with us. You never see the hearse going down the street with the U-Haul truck behind it. You never see that, okay? Because nothing's going with us. The only thing going with us is our relationship with God and our relationship with others. Everything else, it stays behind, right? Everything we have, it, 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 it should belong to him. It's one of those one thing. My time must be spent in a way that just pleases him. My finances must be in a way that glorifies God. I must not put my trust in money or in my stuff or in my things. You know, I call it the big lie of the world. The big lie that, you know, uh, Madison Avenue in New York City tries to sell each and every one of us. It's all over our phones. It's all over billboards and magazines and it's on commercials. It's the big lie that says that your self-worth and your security and your satisfaction in life is wrapped up in your stuff. That's what it tells us. The things that you have, those are what are going to make you happy. That's where you're happy. It's the biggest lie that the world tells us. Because if it was true, we wouldn't have multimillionaires and successful people killing themselves. It wouldn't be so. Listen, my abilities also are, I must use the abilities that Christ has given me to glorify him. But I got to tell you an ability that he didn't give me. It's called golf. Okay? There was actually a time in my life that I'd actually liked to golf, but I didn't have the ability for it. You know, at the time when I was enjoying golf, I struggled with what's called a slice. I had a terrible slice. A slice means that when you hit the ball, it dramatically curves to the right, okay? You know, and I tried everything to get rid of that slice, man. I was slowing down, you know, bring the club more up, bring it on the inside. I tried everything. Turn my body at odd angles. My slice was so bad. Okay, let's say right straight back down there, that's the green. When I would tee up, I would be facing this direction. And I'd, be, I'd never forget the first time I played, Paul, the green's over there. I know. And my slice, <laughs> and I go right down the fairway. That's how bad my slice was. I'm telling you, it was that bad. Well, one day I had a friend watching me, right? And he says, you know what, Paul? Every time you swing, you lift your head. Every time. He says, focus on the ball. Don't worry about where it's going. Just focus on hitting it. Fix your eye on the ball until you're totally through the swing. You know, and as I watched other golfers hit the ball, I always looked to see, do they have that correct stance, you know, are their eyes fixed? Are they on are they eyes focused on the ball? Because you see, where your eyes are fixed, that's what you're going to hit. Are your eyes focused on Jesus this morning? Are your eyes focused on him? No matter what life is throwing at you, no matter what swing you need to take today at life, are your eyes focused on him? Are you focused on your relationship with him? Because you see, friends, it really doesn't matter how religious you are. Because, you know, religion is just man's attempt to get to God, all right? If you haven't given everything to God like that rich young man, you still lack... One thing, okay, a total commitment to Jesus Christ. You know, there was a time in Jesus' ministry when he and his 12 disciples came to the home of his friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This is a great story, okay? Martha quickly went to the kitchen, right? She's trying to get a meal ready for all the visitors. Next, you know, she's got an entourage inside her house. You know, she couldn't go to a microwave and pop some stuff in because, you know, they didn't have microwaves. Back then, right? You know that, right? Well, so maybe some of the young people they'll go, what? They didn't have microwaves. No, they didn't have microwaves back then. They had to make everything fresh, right? Well, so Martha's in the kitchen, you know, starting to get everything ready, pulling pots out, starting fires, whatever they had to do, right, to make to feed all these people. But her sister Mary went and sat down in the living room, right next to Jesus. Martha, she's overcome with stress, right? You know, she's out there trying to prepare this meals and getting things getting, and she actually goes to Jesus and complains. She goes, and Jesus, I mean, Jesus recognized that there was a lot of work to do, but listen how he responds. It's found in Luke 10. Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now, I want you to insert your name. Where it says Martha, Martha, and read through that statement. Instead, it says Blair, Blair, Adele, Adele, Dick, Dick, Bruce, Bruce. You're worried and bothered by so many things, but only one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Friends, one thing is needed. And Mary was doing the one thing. Mary chose the one thing to be with Jesus and to focus on him and what he had to impart on her, not the trees in her life. Martha was focused on the trees in life. Mary was focused on the space. And how relevant is that for us today, you know? I heard people say that they think we're living in the busiest time in history. Maybe we are. Yet we must focus on the one thing. It's Jesus. We need to, even retired, slow down. Slow down. Take some time out. We, We not to choose busyness over Jesus. And maybe you're asking yourself and wondering, well, how do I even get to that point, Pastor, in my life where Christ is the one thing? How do I get to there? Can I tell you, due to our sinful nature, it's easy to become distracted with all the earthly stuff all around us, you know? So easy. We naturally tend not to think about putting God in spiritual things first, okay? Especially we're not going to put it before ourselves. Like Martha Many of us are trying to juggle a multitude of things in life. Well, let's see. I got family. Uh, some of us have our work. We've, some of us got school. We got friends. We got hobbies. We got golf. We got tennis. We got pickleball. We got cards. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I got a relationship with Jesus, too. I can fit that in there somewhere. Can I let me encourage you? We need to focus on the one thing that is truly needed. We need to focus on Jesus. Then and only then, I can tell you, just from my life experience, I'm telling you, everything starts to fall into place. You know, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and they open the door, I'm going to come on in and I'll dine with him, and he'll be with me. Jesus, I'm knocking at the door. Hello? You know, what's that? Back to the future. Hello, McFly. <laughs> you know, you're there. I'm right here. Okay, just let me in. Let me talk to you. Jesus spoke these words. Do you, when he spoke those words right there, did he speak them to believers or non believers? He spoke them to believers. He's talking to people that had given their lives to him. Okay, those are the people he's spoken to. That's who he gave them to. He was speaking at the church of, of Laodicea. These words were spoken to followers of Christ, where just got everything all mixed up, okay? They had lost focus of the one thing, and that one thing was standing there right in front of them. They'd taken their eyes off Jesus. When Jesus knocked on the door of Martha's house, she warmly welcomed them into the house, but then Martha became distracted and missed out on the one thing, to be with Jesus, In Revelation, we're reminded that Jesus knocks on the door of our hearts. He knocks each and every day and is just going, how are you going to respond today, Paul? How are you going to let me in today, Paul, or not? Will we do what the Apostle Paul said? That one thing, I'm forgetting the past. I'm pressing forward. I'm moving forward to what God has. As I get ready to close this morning. I want to close in curly fashion this morning. Do you know what the secret of life is? It's one thing. It's just one thing. It's Jesus Christ. And you stick to that, and the rest means squat. Please join me and stand for our final song. Please stand and sing with us a song.